If you enjoy spoiling your chickens, keeping your chicken first aid kit up to date, and fun surprises for yourself, you'll want to jump on the Honey and Roo bandwagon. Honey and Roo is a monthly box put together by chicken keepers for chicken keepers and their flock. Each month, you'll receive products that may not be available at your local feed store to help build up your poultry first aid kit, try new treats and coop products to keep your flock healthy and happy. And there's always a fun gift for the humans, too. So go to honeyandroo.com and save 10% off your first box using code DRINKANDFARM. As a subscriber, you can also visit the honeyandroo.com shop to purchase select items and save 10% off everything. Honey and Roo. Better chicken keeping delivered. Welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and what we've learned so you can feel less alone in this farm thing. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things. Oh, hey there, Sam. Oh, hey there, Bev. What you drinking this morning? I'm having a beautiful cup of coffee. Apparently, coffee is just my thing. Maybe maybe <laughs> beer isn't so much my thing <gasps> anymore. The evidence seems to suggest that. Yes! <laughs> That's funny. What, what kind of coffee? So... It is coffee that was roasted by my friends down at Ancient Valley Mercantile. They have this adorable shop down there, like, on our main street. And they have coffee, like, custom roasted. And it's Ancient Valley Coffee Company. And I actually think that you can order it online. So I'll drop a link to it in the show notes in case anybody wants to order some. But they're two really great guys. And they've just been really, like, active in our community. And because I'm friends with them, they've, like, pulled me into it, too. So... It's just like, I like that I get to drink their coffee every morning. (laughs) Yes. So what did you open over there? So I opened a Perrin Brewing Company coffee latte. Mm. Because it is kind of early in the day to be drinking for when we're recording this. But I am on vacation. So. (laughs) And I felt like I, I needed to drink beer to talk about the topic that we're talking about today. So that is why I chose coffee and beer this morning. And I made coffee this morning and I tried something new. I, we talk about what we like a lot on the podcast, but I'm going to talk about something that I don't like right now really quick. I like most coffee, but I got the Starbucks honey Madagascar vanilla ground coffee. Not good. Oh my gosh. Not good. At first I like put stevia in it and it was too sweet so I just kind of dumped it out and then tried again with just some milk and it was like not my thing you know maybe maybe there are people out there that like it but honey and coffee mm, I'm gonna give it a thumbs down you know it's funny you say that I actually don't prefer honey and coffee either when I would go through these phases where I would try to like cut out all refined sugar I would put honey in my coffee and it just wasn't the same. I just didn't enjoy it that much. So now I just put a little bit of sugar in my coffee and it's mostly half and half is like what I use to kind of mellow it out a little bit. But yeah, it's not my thing either. Sometimes it's good. It's like in the beans already. But I found that only when it's whole bean and you grind it Mm. 
if you buy it already pre-ground. For some reason, it seems to be overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this is pre-ground. And you know what? I'm going to end up just dumping it out and just like probably it's going to sit in my pantry for a while. Maybe I'll revisit it a different day. But life is too short for bad coffee and gross beer. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Take that bag and just sprinkle the grounds all over your garden. (gasps) That's a great idea. Yeah, the worms will love it because you added worms to your garden beds, right? I did, yes. I saw that, yes. I got them from uh, the same place you got your worms, but they were different worms. I think they were earthworms. Nice. Our drink peep this episode is our friend Ashley Kiernan. And she is at Terry Grove over on the Instagram and also at Ashley Kiernan over on the Instagram. And it's perfect uh, flower farming season. So you really want to go check out her page over at Terry Grove because she's got lots of pretty blooms and I love it. <laughs> I'm jealous. I think that's the hardest part. I'm going to go on a little tangent here because we haven't gone on a tangent in a minute. Oh, hey. As a newer gardener. I'm finding that it's like you're really excited and you plant things and then you just wait. <laughs> yep. And so I really like looking at other people's Instagrams right now to see that, you know, the wait is worth it. And like, there's a whole like philosophical lesson here about planting a seed and waiting and blah, blah, blah. But it's really nice to be able to have Instagram to go look at to see like what other people are doing and what my garden could potentially look like in a couple months. So you got to balance that out with not kind of coveting somebody else's garden and getting jealous of their <laughs> garden. But yeah, so that's my that's my mini tangent right now because I'm out there like stalking just waiting for things to sprout. So I appreciate others sharing their garden journeys online so I can live vicariously through them until I'm there. Oh, I love it. Okay, so <laughs> I'll start with a, a little story before we get into this because... <laughs> It's kind of funny. My my husband is really hard to buy gifts for. It's easy to kind of like do the same things. Like he likes the Detroit Lions, so buy him a lion shirt. He likes hunting, so buy him a hunting shirt. But I feel like he's got like this closet full of shirts that he doesn't wear. So sometimes I try to get creative and surprise him. Well, we were in the garden the other day and he was like, wouldn't it be really cool to have some hot plants And, like, we could just, like, drape them and make it look so cool in here and blah, blah, blah. So I'm at a greenhouse, which I've banned myself from going back to because I've spent way too much money now that I've gone in there and discovered the layout. You're welcome. (laughs) And I found hot plants. So I grabbed two, and then I was like, screw it. And then I grabbed four, so I had two different varieties. And I come home and I'm like, text him, I got a surprise for you. And he's like, is it another gun? And I'm like, no, like, no, it's not that expensive. Just I'll show you when you get home. So he gets home and he looks at, I I take him back to the garden and he looks at the hot plants and he looks at me and he's like, why'd you get these? (laughs) I was like, because you said you thought it would be cool. So I think in his mind, that just meant it created more work for him. Because as we'll talk about, there's like a whole trellis system you kind of have to set up if if you're going to do this right. So today we're going to talk about how to grow and harvest hops in your backyard because I had to do some very quick research after I purchased those plants. 
Don't you just love those impulse purchases at the greenhouse where you get them home and you're like, son of a bitch, now I've got to build this thing (laughs) for this $5 plants that I bought at the greenhouse because I can't just let it die because I bought a hundred $5 plants this year (laughs) and I have to make sure that they all have a proper home. (laughs) Yes. It's so funny, too, because I also bought a blueberry bush because I was like, oh, my gosh, how cute, because it's like a dwarf one. And then I got it home and realized I needed a second one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then I had to go back, which just meant that I bought even more things when I went back. Yep. (laughs) I went in for a blueberry plant and I came up with like sunflower plants and a butterfly bush and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, I mean, you're like, might as well just get a rolling cart while I'm here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what will it hurt? <laughs> My wallet. But that's okay. Because I saved for this adventure. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. So the article we're going to be referencing today is from davesgarden.com. We will link to that in the show notes. So first, we'll start off with just a little bit of information about hops in general. So hops is also, the scientific name is humulus lupulus, which sounds like, I feel like all of these sound like Harry Potter spells anytime I say them. Latin, Latin for you. Yes, humulus lupulus. So this is why we just call them hops. It's a dioecious, did I say that right? I think so. Dioecious plant, which... Just means that there are separate male and female plants. And the female plants produce flowers called cones that contain the distinctive aroma and bittering compounds used to brew beer. So yay, lady plants. That's awesome. So the lady plants are what give us beer. Yes. Love it. I feel like there's a t-shirt concept in there somewhere. (laughs) Yep. Yep, there is. Plus, this quick-growing plant attracts butterflies. And it can also provide shade and privacy as it grows. And there are more than 100 varieties of hop plants, and each variety produces its own flavor and aroma. We have Cascade and Willamette hops. Nice. Those are two really common Mm -hmm. varieties of hops, and you can use those to brew great beer at home. Yes, which is the next thing we're going to have to figure out is, okay, we have four hop plants. We'll get a... We'll get to later in the episode what the harvest will look like for those. What are we going to do with them? Am I like just growing these for funsies? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that if you are. <laughs> exactly. Hops can grow in most moderate climates, but they do best in USDA zones five through nine. So, hey, we're good to go here. And also, this is very important if you want to do this. Hops is a vining plant. And mature vines can grow as tall as 25 feet. So a trellis system is required for backyard growing. Depending on your space, your trellis system can be as simple as a fence or an arbor, or it can be as intricate as a series of teepee-style structures. You can even train the vines to wind around a swing set if you'd like. So I like that this leaves you room to be really creative in your setup. Yeah, most uh, places that grow hops that I've seen, they usually do it on a, like a larger scale, but mm-hmm. they tend to grow them like growing up telephone poles. Like, you know, you get those old telephone poles and have those placed and then they put like a trellising system coming down from those. And that explains why they get to 25 feet tall. Mm-hmm. So you need like a really big trellising system if you're going to have it 
all go up. But the cool thing about vining plants is you can make them wrap around things. They can go in and out of things. Like I'm moving my hand around like a snake because everyone can see me <laughs> winding things. A place that I'd love to put hops one day is our back porch. We've got those really mm. tall columns Mm -hmm. and I think they'd wrap really nicely around those and then go up into that like pergola type roof thing and then start growing along that (laughs) yeah that would be super cool okay so one thing that you should know before you go run out and get hops to put in your backyard is that hop cones can be toxic to dogs so you want to make sure that you do not allow your dog to eat the hop cones fresh or dried and It sounds like it triggers hypothermia. Yes. Okay. Which means they get too hot. Oh. And I kind of did some research in this too. I'm talking like from like actual articles to things on Reddit from people that grow hops and brew beer. It tends to happen in select breeds that are prone to a reaction for hyperthermia. It's something within them that gets triggered And it's been primarily greyhounds and I think also some Labrador retrievers. So, like, Timber's got lab mix. And luckily for us, like, our hop setup is in our enclosed garden that the dogs do not have access to. So as long as I don't drop a cone (laughs) where they can get it if we're moving things. It's just, you know, a good idea to keep your dog away from the cones. But also remember that dogs have really sense of smell. And these aren't going to smell super great to them. So unless you just have a dog that's going to eat everything, no matter what it smells like, it's just better safe than sorry to keep him away from them. That totally makes sense. Well, there goes crushing my dreams of wrapping the pops around my porch. (laughs) (laughs) And this is why we have these conversations. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about planting and caring for hops. So hops can grow up to about a foot of day during the first few months after planting. And one hop plant can produce one pound of cones. So if you're a home brewer, several plants are sufficient for mm-hmm. getting the amount that you need for your beer. <laughs> Don't yeah. think that you need 100 of them. <laughs> no, I think I saw that like 1.25 pounds of hops brews 31 gallons of beer. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So even if you just want to brew for yourself, (laughs) one plant might be enough. (laughs) So, but like we said, shade is important and things like that. So there's, there's a purpose for having multiple of these plants too. It's true. It's true. Uh, So hop plants actually begin as rhizomes. So what those are is those are specialized roots. So you won't like you won't grow hops from seed. Like you won't go to a seed store and get Mm. a package of hop seeds. And the roots require well-drained soil with a pH of about six or seven. And they need to have long periods of full sun exposure. So in the early spring, you want to plant your rhizomes in sets of two per mound with small buds upward and about two inches deep. And you want to make sure that you uh, frequently shallow water them because this will help establish a healthy root system. After the roots are established, less frequent deep watering helps increase root growth and drought tolerance. Be sure to water directly at the base of the plants as wetness on the leaves will encourage disease formation. So you don't want to be like spraying down your whole 
hot plant. <laughs> Not necessary. <laughs> well, and that's a good rule of thumb for a lot of plants, depending on what kind of water you have. It's funny. People are always like, well, but the rain gets on top of them. Yeah, I mean, but rain comes from Mother Nature and it's different than the water that like comes out of your hose or whatever. So sometimes there can be like a lot of minerals and stuff in them and it can do damage to the leaves. And you also don't want your plants to just be wet all the time because that's how you end up with mold and fungus and stuff. So yeah. Balance. It's all about balance. Yes. And hop vines are super heavy feeders. So you want to make sure that you are fertilizing these bad boys. You can pack them in with compost. You can use some manure or, you know, any of your favorite fertilizers will help them remain strong. So these aren't the kinds of things that you just like throw in your soil and then let go. Mm -hmm. They need food. (laughs) They're hungry. (laughs) Hungry hops. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the next thing is training your plants. Because once your hot plants have grown in about a foot in height, it's time to start training them to grow up your trellis system. Hop vines, called vines, grow at a rapid rate. The training process helps the vines stay healthy and strong. And what you can do is use twine to train the vines to the trellis. Select only vigorous vines to train and prune away the less vigorous vines. As plants reach the top of the trellis, they will begin to branch out horizontally. It is these horizontal branches that will actually produce cones. Oh, interesting. Very, very interesting. Check out the Drink and Farm Merch Shop. We keep the shop up to date with new and fresh items. And while you're there, be sure to check out the shirt of the month. Go to drinkandfarm.com slash shop and maybe snag a few items you've been eyeing for a while now. Shopping with us is an excellent way to support the podcast and get something new for yourself at the same time. Now you get to harvest your cones. I feel like this is going really fast when in fact, like this is actually a very slow month and month and month long process. (laughs) (laughs) Although you will be able to harvest some cones the first fall after planting, your hops vines will reach their full maturity with a pound or more of cones per plant after three years. So this is a lot like wine grapes or any kind of grapes, I guess. You're, you know, you're going to get a little something, something the first year, but this is a long game. It's a long term investment to actually reap the benefits of this plant. Kind of like asparagus and rhubarb. Like that's another one where you don't necessarily get to harvest anything sometimes the first year and maybe just a little bit the second year. Like this is why establishing your perennials, like as soon as you have the idea to do it, is a good idea because it's Mm -hmm. like the super long game. And, you know, Sam, you had mentioned blueberries earlier. I forgot to tell you, I planted blueberry bushes four years ago, like right when we first got here. This year is the first year that I'm getting blueberries off of them. Really? (laughs) Yeah, they took a long time to establish. But, I mean, that might have been my variety or where I put them or Mm -hmm. what I'm feeding them or whatever. But, yeah. But once you got them established, like, it's something really cool and something to be really proud of, too. Because, like, you invested the time and energy instead of, like, grabbing the instant gratification thing, I think. Yeah. 
No, definitely. I did the <laughs> I did the short game this year when I was back at the greenhouse because uh, I kind of failed at the whole strawberry patch thing this year, which is fine because I can't do everything. But they had plants in there that are one crop and they're, they give their crop in June. Oh, nice. And they already had strawberries on the plant. So I impulse bought two of those. <laughs> <laughs> that was how I started my strawberry patch. Oh, yeah? Was, yeah, with those kind of strawberries. I did do crowns the following mm. year in a different bud. But my very first patch, it was plants that were in pots. They already had flowers, and some of them already had strawberries on them. And now it's a 250, 300-square-foot bed full of, of strawberries. Woo! Like, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I have to tear it out, unfortunately, but that's a story for another day. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's really cool how you can kind of like pick and choose how you want to start things. Yeah. And it sounds like for your hops, you started with plants, not mm -hmm. the rhizomes. Yeah, because it looked pretty and because they were there. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that happened. Nice. Yes. And I would say they are about a foot tall. And so, yeah, I definitely had a head start. Okay. So how can you tell if your cones are ready for harvest? Each hop's cone grows to a length of one to two inches with papery green scales. In late summer, just pinch a cone. If the texture is papery, the cone is ready to pick. Inside the ripe cone are small yellow particles called lupulin that give beer its flavor and aroma. Mmm. Mm -hmm. Your cones will mature at different times over the next few weeks, so check them frequently for ripening. To avoid knocking loose the lupulin, use care when harvesting the cones by using scissors or pruning shears. And also a pro tip in this article says it is a good idea to wear gloves and long sleeves when you harvest because hot plants can cause skin irritation in some people. Oh, I could totally see that. Yeah. So once you're done harvesting all of your awesome hops, it is time to dry them. And to do this, you just spread them out in the sunshine in a single layer on a clean window screen. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a window screen. You can use like hardwire cloth, like make a hardwire cloth frame mm -hmm. or anything like that. But what you're looking for is you want air circulation because if you put them on like a table or something that's flat and doesn't allow airflow under it, you're going to end up with like some rotting on the bottom side and then you won't get to keep your dried hop cone and make beer with it, which would be super sad. So... You want to make sure that you protect your drying hops from squirrels and other wildlife because apparently squirrels like beer too. <laughs> <laughs> they want to take them and steal them for their homebrew. And drying can take anywhere from a few hours to several days. So it really depends on your region's weather. So things like your humidity, how much of a breeze you have, how warm it is, all of those things are going to affect the time. But if you don't want to wait that long or your squirrels are extra hop hungry and they keep stealing them, <laughs> you can dry your hops in the oven. And to do this, you set the temperature at 140, leave the oven door slightly open because you want to allow moisture to escape. You're not trying to roast your hops. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and watch the hops closely to make sure that the cones don't become too brittle. So they need to be the right amount of dry. You can also use a food dehydrator set at its lowest setting, which is around 90 degrees to 100 degrees. 
And your cones are ready for brewing when the central stems are brittle and the lupulin powder falls out easily. Mature, healthy hops plants can produce about two pounds of dried cones each year. You can use the cones right away for brewing, or you can store them in a sealed container in the freezer for later use. That's so cool. I love that you don't have to use them right away. (laughs) Yes, me too. So after you're done harvesting them, your hot plants will require just a little more care. They are perennial plants. So what that means is that they come back every year. So every fall, winter-ish, your hot plants are going to die back and all that's going to be left is their crowns. So to maintain your plants after you are done harvesting, you want to cut your vines down to about three feet. And then after your very first heavy frost, you want to cut the remaining vines down to the soil surface. And then you'll put several inches of mulch over the crown of each plant because what you're trying to do is protect your crowns from freezing and rotting during the winter time. And then just to note, because hot plants grow vigorously and can easily take over your garden each spring and summer, you might need to trim some of their roots back each spring so that you don't end up getting overwhelmed with them if they get like super happy in your garden. (laughs) (laughs) So you can cut them apart by sinking a spade into the ground in a 12 inch circle around the rhizomes of each plant. And that will help take care of that will like spear off all of those extra offshoots that are coming out. (laughs) Yeah, I was kind of amazed when I took the hot plants out of their planter container things like how big the roots were and how thick and like strong they were and I was like oh okay this makes a lot of sense like why you gotta keep this contained each year yeah they just like get better and better and healthier and healthier each year as they're properly taken care of so that's super cool Mm -hmm. uh so we did end up as we're recording this it is early June what we ended up doing because the hop varieties that I have are part sun to full sun behind my garden buds. We made like these little, it's probably like three inch planter square type deals that are the same length of my garden bed. So it's kind of like a mini raised garden bed and we filled them with soil because I still have so much soil left. <laughs> so they had like, it's raised a little bit so I can keep on the weeding a little bit better. But they can still, like, plow into the ground with the roots. So we did that. And then (laughs) other articles I read, a lot of backyard hop growers that do it as just a fun hobby, they set up their trellises for 10 feet. And I told Matt, like, hey, you know, the back of this plant thing, little info card, says they can get up to 25 feet. So what does he do? He creates like a 20 foot trellis system. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I'm like, um, we're gonna have to get all the way up there to harvest that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we have ladders, but like, heights are not my favorite. So that'll be a fear I will have to conquer or he's gonna have to do it one way or the other. We'll make it work. But he just off the fence post closest to the barn, put two by fours straight up and then we ran a line of like really thick cord from one pole to the other and then really like heavy twine kind of in the center of where each bed is. Maybe I'll take a picture and we can add it to the Instagram post or put it on the Patreon one or the other so you guys can see what we got going on and now we have the them all set, soils in, plants are in, 
and we started training the vines last night. So I'm excited to see like if they really start taking off now that they have soil and have plenty of poo around here. So <laughs> I'll make right. sure to feed the poo plant, feed the poo to the plants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, plants love fresh goat poo like yeah goat poo is really just like great for everything yeah you know it's funny Elise one of our drink sponsors she told me that she heard rabbit poo oh yeah fresh rabbit poo is supposed to be really good too and you don't even have to like let it break down or anything like that you can just throw it right on so that's good to know for goat poo and rabbit poo, because I have a lot of both. Yeah, both of those are not considered, like, hot poos. <laughs> Some poos are hotter than others, like chicken poop, duck poop, like, that kind of poop is all hot poop. So you need to let that age before you put it on plants, or it'll scald them. But, like, goat and rabbit, you just, like, put it right on there. And it's little berries, so it breaks down yeah. real fast. And, yeah. It's a good way to motivate me to clean out what I need to clean out on the farm. <laughs> right. <laughs> so please let us know in our Facebook group. If you're not in it, you can join by going to We Drink and We Farm Things. We have a group. You answer three questions. We let you in. I'd be curious to know who of our listeners grows hops and if they can like provide any tips that we didn't talk about today or share any of their fun experiences we would love to hear from you so sharing that in the group is a great place to do that yes yes so now it's time for we can't even corner so bev what can't you even about this week so i can't even that i let myself get the worst rope burn ever (laughs) it looks so painful Oh, it is. And I'm like still messing around with my hand. I still like I can't close my hand into a fist. Like it's not physically possible. (laughs) Okay, so I haven't I didn't ask like specifically what happened because I wanted to hear it in real time. So share the story. So every day, well, not every day, but very often during this time of year, I take the donkeys to the big pasture to go have some playtime with the cow and enjoy munching on some pasture grass and all of the fun things that happen with having three acres to run free on. And when I went to go get them the other day, they were just acting off. And I I'm not 100% sure what it was, but you can just kind of tell like when you walk up to your animals and they kind of like look at you funny or maybe like back up a little bit when they normally just like come straight for you. Mm -hmm. It was really odd, but I was kind of in a hurry. I was trying to move the donkeys really quick because I wanted to finish up the chores so that we could have like a fun family evening. So I was like, oh, well, that was a little weird, but oh, well, no big deal. And they both let me clip them. And I thought, oh. Yeah, they're totally fine. Well, I moved like sideways. And when I clip the donkeys, I I kneel down on the ground so that I'm at their height because they're miniatures. So I want their head at my head level. So I was kneeled down on the ground. I had both of them clipped. I had one in one hand and one in the other. And I turned to look at one of the other donkeys. And the one that was like out of my eyeline spooked. Mm. And... When that happened, Jupe was the one that I was looking at. Herc was the one that spooked. When that happened, Jupe spooked also. 
But he was the one that I was holding like closer to my body. And I was holding the rope up under like kind of under his chin because I had just clipped it and I was like kind of holding it. So when he spooked, my instinct was to like grab down on it because I wanted to stop him. Because if I can say whoa and stop them from spooking, that's like a really great training win. They like, you know, they trust you. They see that you're in control and like, you know, nothing freaky happened, even though they got a little spooked. And when I did that, he pulled me over and I fell like on top of my hand that was holding the rope Mm. and I couldn't let go of it. Oh, no. So the rope ran like the whole length of the rope ran through my hand. (laughs) And like at that point, like about halfway through was when I was like, oh, my God, I have no idea what just happened, but it just really hurts. (laughs) Yeah. So they spooked, they both ran off, and then they stopped, and they're looking at me, and I'm, like, standing in the middle of the pasture. They pulled me over. Thank God they didn't pull me into any cow poop, because that would have been awful. (laughs) (laughs) That would have just added insult to injury. Yeah. (laughs) And I look at my hand, and I was like... I, I have to go inside and take care of this. I can't I can't catch these donkeys now. <laughs> so yeah. I left because I was like, I'm freaked out. So obviously, like, I'm not going to be a good team member right now anyways. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're not going to come anywhere near me. And go inside. And what happens when you get a rope burn is that, like, it essentially melts the skin. Oh, God. It's like... Yeah, it's like your hands, like, went into fire, but you don't have, like, the charring. (laughs) It's just the skin is all melted. So now my fingers have the shape of the rope, like, melted into them. The the skin is, like, all – it's all, like – misshapen i can't move those two fingers properly thankfully it was only two fingers that got the worst of it it was my index finger and my middle finger and the skin broke on my middle finger so i've been watching that one for infection because you know how clean lead ropes are (laughs) (laughs) so far so good though a little what's that bubbly stuff peroxide yeah (laughs) and some neosporin and a band-aid like did really well on those but this melted like deformed skin i think that I'm just going to have to wait for that to, like, slough off and then new skin to grow underneath it. But I've heard that these kinds of injuries, like, can take forever to heal because of that process. So it's really unfortunate because I can't use my left hand very well. (laughs) Thankfully, it's my left and not my right, but still. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I need my hands for things. But it was a really great lesson to me to slow down and remember when – my animals are acting a little off to like just give them a little space because like it wouldn't have been the end of the world to just leave them in there for the night like if I really needed you know to Mm -hmm. go do something else when I put the donkeys in the big pasture they're always wearing a grazing muzzle and that's because donkeys that are just like let into lush pasture like free rain they'll totally founder yeah So I'm always really careful to make sure that they can't like completely overgorge themselves when they're having some enjoyable grazing time. And also to just let go of that rope, it's not worth it. I have let them drag me before, but I don't know if it's just because it was like maybe it was a little wet or maybe it was a little humid outside, but the rope just like slipped right through my hand. Like I had no grip on it whatsoever. Well, I had enough grip that I couldn't open my hand, but (laughs) it didn't stop the rope. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, that's my rope burn story. I don't recommend it. The other thing I want to let people know, too, is things like that are exactly why you never, ever wrap your lead rope 
like no matter what kind of animal you're leading. Because, you know, like people do it with dogs all the time, too. And we used to have a blue tick coon hound. Oh. And I wrapped my hand once when I was walking him. He was like 95 pounds. And he pulled me once and like almost broke my arm. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not wrapping the leash for him anymore. So then I what you do is you just like fold it back and forth and then hold the extra leash in your hand. So that way, like you still have good control over it and good grip. But if they like take off running, you can just open your hand and let go. It's not stuck to you so that it drags you with them because you'll get them to come back to you eventually. It's way better than breaking your arm or your hand. Yeah. (laughs) And donkeys are strong. And that's how I usually hold their lead rope also. It was really strange for me to be holding it like single. I was just holding the single part of the rope with all the rest of it dangling out. I don't normally hold it like that. I normally fold it all up in my hand. So that way I don't end up with the whole rope running through it. Right. Gosh. <laughs> so those are my two lessons to share and takeaways. Just pay attention <laughs> to how you're holding the rope and pay attention to your animal's mannerisms. <laughs> yeah. It's hard, though. Like, that – when you're moving like that, just, like, I'm trying to be more mindful of fancy like that, too. Because I've, I've started reading this really great book – and I feel like I started reading a lot of great books recently and then have stopped. Um, but I have it right here. I'll share it with you guys, too. I don't think she talks about donkeys in here. It's mostly like pigs, sheeps, sheeps, sheep, goats, and uh, cows. But it's Temple Graydon's Guide to Working with Farm Animals. Oh. You can get it off of Amazon. It talks all about like animal psychology and how to move cattle safely and all that fun stuff. Highly recommend that though. I need to get back to that one because I (laughs) think wrangling goats sometimes when you need them to do something can be very challenging. I think we just talked about that in a previous episode. They don't do what you want them to. So I've been starting to read more about that because safety is important and one wrong move like this it doesn't take more than a couple of seconds. And even if you do know what you're doing, there's still always room for injury. So yeah, it's definitely a good reminder to always stay vigilant because animals can't talk to us, even though I think I wish they could sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> totally wish they could. And we'll put a link to that book in the show notes so that people can go check it out because it sounds like a really good read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a very easy read, too. I just really got to get back to it. So what is your can't even this week? (laughs) So mine is from local12.com, and it's about the construction of a 62-foot chicken underway in Georgia. (laughs) 62-foot chicken? Yes. Yes, you heard that right, folks. (laughs) A towering sculpture of a chicken that stands higher than the tallest dinosaur is taking shape in rural South Georgia, The framed outline of the giant chicken standing 62 feet or 19 meters tall now towers above homes in the city of Fitzgerald. The finished product will be a gargantuan topiary, meaning the chicken will be sculpted from living plants growing on its frame like a huge garden lattice. (laughs) So leaders Fitzgerald announced plans for the chicken sculpture in 2019 as a feature to bring tourists to the city of 9,000 people. The pandemic obviously kind of delayed some things. So that's why, you know, we're in 2021 and it's still not quite finished. 
But I thought that was really neat that they chose to do that with the chicken. <laughs> City officials are actually paying for the chicken with penny sales tax dollars that were earmarked for tourism projects. The plan calls for a room inside the base of the chicken that can be rented to visitors. The mayor says he's heard from newlyweds interested in booking it for a honeymoon suite. Nice. <laughs> I mean, I would go there and stay the night in a chicken. <laughs> like, how cool is that? <laughs> yes. Yes, I would. Where is this at again? Fitzgerald, Georgia. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if it's anywhere near Grubbly Farms headquarters. <gasps> Ooh. That would be too good. Road trip. Because at least they need to go. If we can't, they need to <laughs> <That's> go. Right. <laughs> All right. So that's it for Can't Evens. Today, you can send us your Can't Evens in the Facebook group or message us on Instagram, Facebook, or email them to us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com because we like to share those on our mini-sodes. And be sure and leave us a review. Every week, we read a review on the podcast and... Then at the end of the month, we draw a winner that will win an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never be in the shop. So we don't have a review to read this week. Ooh. So that means we only have two Fridays left. So make sure you leave one so we can read that and somebody gets to win a free mug. That's a pretty good chance right there, you know. 50-50. Yeah. All right, just a few housekeeping items. Just a reminder, we have a new series over on our Patreon called Straight No Chaser. This is available to our patrons at the $5 level and above. But you can find more information if you go to patreon.com slash drinkandfarm. These are really fun for us to record. People seem to be really enjoying them. It's just super quick, around five minute mark, something helpful something interesting. We give you the facts and a little bit of our opinion. And it's a great way for you to get more out of us while supporting the podcast. And be sure and hit the subscribe button and download the episode when you listen because this helps more people like you find the podcast. And do us a favor and share this episode while you're listening to it over in Instagram in your stories. And when you tag us at Drink and Farm, we will send you a promo code just for that episode that will give you a percentage off in our shop. And you want that because we have a lot of new fun stuff. So be sure to take a look at the show notes. You'll find links to all of the things we discussed today, a link to our merch shop and any other cool thing, our group, all the good stuff. And that's it. We hope you enjoyed learning a little bit about hops and growing them in your backyard. And I hope you enjoyed our mini tangents because we had a few, but we haven't had tangents in a while. Yeah, I like them. They're fun. Yeah. So until next time, drink, farm, and give zero clucks. Bye, guys. Bye. We drink things. We farm things. We drink and farm things. First Saturday Lime is a non-toxic, super strong drying agent derived from 100% natural products. First Saturday Lime has the ability to dry out insects, eggs, and larvae. It's effective as treatment for infestations, as well as preventing those little buggers from infiltrating your coops and barns in the first place. 
This pesticide alternative is something we use regularly on our farms, and it's a total game changer, no matter which season we are in. Not only does it keep the bugs away, but it also helps soak up ammonia and tame down the stink in your animal enclosures. Go to FirstSaturdayLime.com and order today.